Adam Storm. You're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando. is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 193. It is Brando. Thanks for Checking out another edition of this Guns N' Roses themed Bar Mitzvah Party of a Broadcast, finding everything under our six degrees of GNR bacon. And today we got a pretty, pretty good connection to the bands that we love. And it's not just, I'm not just excited for the podcast. I am excited for, for all of us as just a fan of this man's very historic catalog. I mean, who hasn't Matt Sorum worked with? But of course, and he's he fully appreciates that he is most known for Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver, and most recently, if you listened to the last episode with Cherie Curry, Matt produced her entire record, including uh, the lost Velvet Revolver track, but ended up with Cherie on vocals, and we'll hopefully get the story about Mr. X with Slash and Duff on that Cherie, new Cherie album, on Boulevards of Splendor. We'll talk about, well, see where it goes. So he's calling up now. Hey Matt. Hey Brandon. Hey Matt, how are you? Uh, how are you doing? I'm cool, man. Thank you. I guess it's. I was just about to say it's. Um, I can't help but ask that. It's like such a pleasantry, but it's a loaded question nowadays. So I guess the first thing is like, how are you? How is the family? How are you holding up? We're cool, man. You know, I, I, I you know, my life's about the same as it's always been. To be honest with you, unless I'm out touring or doing whatever I'm, I'm working virtually i live out in palm springs now you know i do a lot of my work you know obviously i'm involved in a lot of things i'm doing a lot of entrepreneurial stuff tech stuff so i'm just online emailing i i've got a company out of brazil so i'm always on virtually with those guys so it's kind of not much different except for the fact that i did have some gigs booked in the summer for my band kings of chaos okay so we're just trying to trying to navigate some of that stuff all right. Uh, not a ton of games, but a few, yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you're keeping busy, and for you, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I got to find a, like a better or stronger word for busy because that does not apply to you, Matt. You're, you have so much going on. <laughs> and before we get to you know latest projects, I just also got off the phone with uh, Cherie Curry, and I want to talk about that album with you. Something I want to pick your brain about, and if there is a silver lining in all of this that's going on in this pandemic. We've been seeing the animals making a comeback, you know, uh, dolphins and bears, and they're all appearing where I guess there were traffic, whether it be cars or gondolas in Italy. And it's interesting to see how the earth is kind of healing itself. And I know you do a lot of charity work with dolphins and elephants. So I don't know. I kind of wanted to know your thoughts about all of this. Should we just let the animals take over and that'd be the end of it? Well, I think they're probably, you know, especially the captive animals right now. Oh, how does it feel? You know, it's like with, with Dolphin Project, you know, I'm on the board of Dolphin Project. And I spent time in Japan, you know, fighting the cap- captivity of dolphins. And, you know, 
live observed. Here they are, an animal that swims 100 miles a day now being captured so people can swim with them in a swimming pool. And, you know, if anyone has any sort of feeling of being captive, I mean, I guess that would be how they must feel, especially being, mm. you know, so I don't swim 100 miles a day, but... So, uh, in, in a few days, we're doing a big thing for Dolphin Project about, you know, this is how they live all the time when they're captive. And, and I feel like this is sort of a way for us to look at what, what we actually have done to our planet, especially, you know, I don't know if you saw the pictures of Los Angeles, but it's the first time they could see the mountains in like 30 years. Yeah. You know, no pollution. You know, Beijing, China, it's completely cleared up. Which I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that particular region is so polluted. And, you know, bees and, and birds and, and everything. It's just, you know, they've got uh, they've got room to breathe. You know, and they're, they're not as threatened as they were. You know, it's like so. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we have to take a real strong look at what's been going on and the naysayers of climate change and everything else. I mean. Obviously, you know, I don't want to get into a politically charged discussion, but, um, but you know, global warming is causing a lot of these pandemics, and you know, we're going to see more more problems the worse the, the environment gets. So, um, you know, heat and, and moisture and things like that uh, bring, bring more mosquitoes. You know, we've got mosquitoes for the first time in California. Uh, we've got, you know, Zika virus here. We've got, you know, crazy things happening. So I think people need to step back and, and really, like, this is the time for us to pause and look at the next phase of how we're going to, you know, treat Mother Nature, right? And, uh, and it's important to, to to look at what you do in your daily regime to, you know, or, you know, even if you're not putting all your plastic in the, in the recycling bin, you know, that's the thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about these plastic gloves, where are they all going, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, oh my God, you know, on top of more problems we've got. But anyway, in the meantime, let's take care of the human race and, and, and but let's think about what's going on with the planet. You know, that's basically what I got to say about that. Well, I appreciate you using your, your platform to talk about all these topics and, and all these different philanthropic endeavors you take part of. And we can talk uh, upon that later on because I know you're here uh, with me for a limited amount of time. But I will say, um, my girlfriend has really gotten me into recycling. I was I was just very lazy. I was just a uh, just I have to admit it. I have to admit that my fault. I just really didn't put too much thought into it. And she's really changed me. Where you know it's not just the the no plastic, but it's certain kind of soaps and shampoos. And it's so that's a whole other that's a whole other story. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a real wake up call, right? And you know, I've been involved with Anastasia for about almost six years now. And the stuff that's going on over there, I mean, this is the way for the world to really look at. The wildlife market in Asia and Vietnam has been going on for a while. And I've known about it for a long time. And, uh, you know, obviously, now the world's got to say, hey, look, we, you know, we can't stand for this anymore. We have, to, we have to have some sort of regulation that's going to stipulate that's causing the rest of the world all this strife. And, you know, this can't go on. Obviously... A lot of what goes on in the wildlife market is illegal trade. You know, I'm involved in Animals Asia, which these bears 
what's called a moon bear is trapped and put in a cage for 25 years. Oh. So they can create this Chinese medicine that's absolutely trivial and bullshit. Oh. Uh, long story short, you know, we need to take some real perspective on, you know, how we're treating this. But, you know, we've already said that, but, you know, long story short, um, I just hope the world understands, you know, going back into life again. That we, it's just going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, you know, and I hope the people are going to have a much better understanding and be a lot more grateful for what we've been allowed to do on a daily basis right, right. so I, I hope you're right and uh, I, I agree with you on everything and I'm right there with you so as I mentioned just keep using your platforms to talk about all these very very important topics and you're you know a great follow on Twitter for for that reason always bringing these things to your well, followers I mean, attention look, look at this yeah yeah I mean, look at this for instance like the mask I remember going to Japan which was roses in like the early 90s and I remember seeing people wearing face masks in Tokyo. And I always thought, wow, they're wearing face masks. And that was, I'm talking 30 years ago. Right. And I remember thinking that was really interesting, but that particular uh, country is very respectful of their, their other, you know, humans that live there. People would wear masks based on the fact that they had a cold. So if they were going out in public and they had to go out, they would put a face mask on to not infringe on you know, their, their counterparts walking around the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really respectful. And that makes total sense. It's like, you know, I'm going to go out, but I'm not feeling well. So I'm going to make sure that I don't, you know, and that could be something that could be really going forward. It's just about respecting your fellow man. And, and you know, hey, I'm not feeling good. I don't want to get somebody else, you know. Sure. Like someone walked up to me and when someone walks up to you and you got the flu or something, you're like, hey, I'm not feeling good. Probably not a good time to shake your hand or give me a hug. I mean, you've done that before, you know? Sure. That's something that's got to be done on a daily basis now on, you know? Yeah, a lot of things are going to change specifically in the music uh, industry to kind of shift gears a little bit. And I asked this uh, to Sherry, and I want to make the transition here, and I'll ask it to you. You know, a lot of artists are, it's interesting how people are either releasing things now or, or, or holding off. And we could touch on your book if you would like to later, how, you know, I'm assuming you, cause you want it to coincide with the tour book tour or artists are, they, they are rescheduling dates or Gilby Clark. I had him on recently and he's put off his, his album for this reason, but you're putting, obviously it's out now, Boulevards of Splendor with Cherie. So what made now, like, is it just because it's been 10 years in the making? How come it, 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 what made now the right time for it to finally see the light of day? You know, I don't know. I was so strange. I got a call from Kenny Laguna, who's been with Joan Jett, started Blackguard Records, you know, with Joan. And we did the record together, you know, God, almost 10 years ago. And the thing, the thing about the album was, you know, when I, when I first came to Hollywood, you know, I, I had a few record deals and they would do what's called shelve a record, right? You make a record, record company didn't want to put it out to them. Anyway, uh, that's not exactly what happened to this album, but ended up not being put out for whatever reason, and then Cherie had a bunch of stuff going on. She had an accident, and I fell out of it. She's a chainsaw artist. Yeah. She fell out of the tree. 
Anyway, Kenny called me out of the blue about, about three weeks ago and said, hey, we're going to put the record out. And I actually really was happy and very, you know, happy that the record was going to see the light of day. We've all got, like, this sort of home time to do a lot of interviews. So that made perfect sense, you know. And then uh, Billy Gibbons, I, I guess, toured Billy. And we sure. Like, oh, the big band blues. And I have this video that we've been kind of sitting on. And I said, Billy, let's put it out, man. I mean, you know, we're not touring. So there's certain parts of that kind of thing. Not, not no pun intended, but we've got a captive audience. People are looking for stuff to watch. Right. Content. You know, everyone's on Netflix or Zoom or whatever. So we dropped that video. You know, I'm doing a lot of interviews and just got off a bunch of different Zoom things. So this stuff's happening. You know, people are trying to percolate. You know, it's an interesting time because it's a different energy. You know, but... Thank God we have it. I mean, remember back in 1918 when they had the massive flu that took millions of people? How did they communicate? They didn't, you know? I mean, like, just imagine just what, uh, 20 years ago, before smartphones, what we, would we would have done, let alone, the, you know, the early 1900s, we would have been losing our mind. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, it gives you a perspective. So the record, the record you know, the amount we had all this, great energy to just put into that and that that that's cool because you know it's giving up the real sort of you know focus and uh, everyone's kind of available <laughs> <laughs> no one has an excuse anymore <laughs> yeah it's like hey where are you well uh okay yeah you're home you know you're home <laughs> so you can't do it on the backyard but you know whatever right but, uh, I was wondering if you could talk about the the lead track of the record, Mr. X, with Slash and Duff, because Cherie said that's yeah. uh, that used to be that was supposed to be a Velvet Revolver song. Can you tell us about uh, the track in its infancy and how it made the album? Yeah, well, you know that song was actually written by me and Duff. Like Duff used to come over to my house, and I have a recording studio, and we were all you know we all offer songs when we make records, and you know Velvet Revolver. I wrote more songs <coughs> that, you know, I didn't come up with chords and stuff for any GNR stuff, but Bell Revolver came along. I started writing more. And I wrote a, a riff for a song called Set Me Free mm. on the first album. That was that was my riff. And mm. I remember playing that for Slash and him kind of looking at me and going, oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> that really opened up my songwriting. I, you know, that fact that, <coughs> sorry. Fact that I had acknowledgement from you know this great guitarist. And so anyway, we started writing. Me and Duff started writing together, the two of us. And uh, he'd come over, and I'd have a little guitar riff, or he'd have a riff. And you know, I don't know if you noticed, but about Duff, but Duff's a drummer too. You know, he started out as a drummer, so Duff, Duff would get on the drums, and I'd play guitar, or vice versa, and. Uh, we ended up coming up with that song, Mr. X, and then we had another song, and I can't remember what the heck we called it, but we started sending out those two songs for demos for we were looking for a singer after Scott. So those were like these kind of like demo songs to try out singers. And this guy came in, Royston Langdon, 
for the band Space Song. Yeah. And he wrote this lyric, Mr. X. And the whole, all the lyrics and the melody were done by Royston. And Royston was really amazing of a singer. I was a real contender. We were thinking about it for a while, like almost about six months. And we felt that he was a little too close to Scott. We really loved him. Hmm. But we were looking for something. We didn't want to like have it too close to Scott. So anyway, the song just kind of sat there. And when the three album came along, I, I called those guys. I think Flash came back and did another solo because he didn't want to do the one that went on there. So he came back over and then Duff, I think Duff fixed his bass too. Because it was kind of rough, you know, it wasn't like, Duff came over and I said, I could just have the same drum track. And I thought it was perfect for Sheree, so she sang it and it just worked. And that's the, that's the lead track, Mr. X. It's a it's a great track, and while we're kind of in the the VR world, a uh, couple questions because obviously, I mean, my listeners were beyond excited to hear that you're coming on, and I can only get to so many questions from them. But this is from Chad Bruce, and a former guest of the show produced uh, Velvet Revolver's first record. That's Doug Greon, and he's been doing these uh, Facebook lives recently, telling stories and stuff. So he mentioned this story about. About yeah, he's 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 a funny dude. Uh, he's been telling uh, he has a, a beard that I envy, and I have a beard. His is like Santa Claus level. Uh, he said that you and Dave Kushner worked on a song together. He sent it to Scott. Scott did vocals and then sent it to Slash. But then Scott's producer, I guess uh, Doug, said that it wasn't. It just didn't fit the record. Didn't go anywhere. So does that ring a bell at all? Well, I, I, there was a lot of stuff being talked around, so I can't remember the particular song. Okay. But I, that particular studio, Doug Greon and Scott Weiland had a studio called Plush. And we would go over there and do a bunch of, like, demo work. And that was over, like, off the 5 freeway in Burbank. It was a really cool place. It was Scott's place. And... We did a lot of the demos for Contraband in there, and I remember even when we wrote all the pieces, Slash had the rib, and we put we put everything down. And Doug was there, uh, basically, you know, recording all the stuff for the demos. And all the pieces didn't have a chorus, and Scott sang the B section of the verse. He sang all the pieces on phone. And I remember, I said, Doug, can you fly that into the chorus? Fly that lyric in your chorus, he was down by. So you can a Pro Tools rig, you can drop the vocal, or you can move it around and stuff. Hmm. You know, that's how it works. You can't do that in the old days. We were on record on tape, but. Sure. So we bumped, and all of a sudden that became the chorus. And if you listen to the song, Todd sings that twice. studios 
they remember the history of that. Scott got arrested outside that studio because he was, you know, still struggling and mm. uh, obviously the thing that took his life in the end. But um, Scott got arrested while in the middle of recording on Japan while we were, you know, trying to make the record. Ended up, we get a call one day, you know, Scott's in jail and everything. And I remember when he came in to finish the album, they had to bring Scott over to NRG and was, you know, he's being escorted by a police officer and he finished that record in and out of jail. Wow. <laughs> and then when we went on the road, you know, he ended up getting clean and, you know, we had a couple people with him and we always had to kind of, you know, we'd all got cleaned up We you know, in the beginning of that tour. We were all doing pretty good. We were in pretty good shape and, we made a pact, like, you know, we're going to go back out on the road. We can't do it like we used to do it, you know? We'll all die or whatever. You know, obviously, you know, Scott did pass away because of those those demons. But, um, you know, we had a really great run with him. And, and Doug was a big part of that. So it's cool to see that, you know, that he's doing that stuff. For sure. And I, I will mention, uh, Matt, that I do on this podcast, I, I often talk about depression and addiction and my struggles. It's been, you know, I think about five years without a drink come this December uh, for me because I know it all. It, it's un- unfortunately too prominent in the rock and roll world. I mean, it's in it, just in general human nature. But uh, I just want to let you know that's something that we we talk about. And both Doug and and Rocco, who you work with, were nice enough to tell me a, a lot of wonderful stories about about scott so you know if you don't mind me asking do you when your book does come out do you go into uh how that kind of like that that story what you're talking about him and in out of jail like how how deep do you go into velvet revolver in your upcoming Uh, book i I talk about it you know but i I talk more about like sort of what happened my my particular you know i don't want to talk too much about the, you know it's my book so it's like uh, I'm going to tell my story and sort of how I saw things and, you know yeah I, I, I get into the Velvet Revolver years I mean I've been in so many bands you know it's not going to be you know obviously Guns N' Roses being the biggest band I, I, I talk about it of course but I tell some stories about what what happened and what I went through and things like that um, and I think I'm I think I'm really respectful of you know, uh, of my time in those groups. And, and uh, but I, I do tell about what I went through emotionally and uh, at, at the height of my career, you know, where I was at, um, which wasn't always pretty, you know. So there's, there was dark times, and I had real dark times. And uh, even at the height of success, and I talk about this a lot with people, it's like, you know, be careful about success. You know, you see a lot of successful people that really struggle and I think you know it's, it's a really it gets it can get real scary when you're successful you know and, and at that height of your career or whatever uh, and I can't explain exactly why that is people can't quite understand it sometimes I guess uh, why, why people that are so successful do struggle but there's other there's other things that appear that are, that are hard to Describe that you don't understand that fame and, and more people wanting to be near you that aren't necessarily your friends or family and you know other other things jump in like you know 
uh, ego and, and you know arrogance and it all relates back to sort of uh, you know addiction and you know when you, when you're drinking and using you know it's not it's not what what you're doing it's the decisions you make right mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you like you say people you say oh that guy was in his right mind you know and that, you know I talk about that in the book I wasn't always in my right mind you know. I, the decisions I made based on the amount of alcohol drugs that we were using weren't probably the best decisions we could have made, right? So, you kind of look at it and go, well, the, the greatest part about doing the book is looking back at, you know, what your part in it was. It's like, man, maybe, what would I have done differently? Well, a lot of it. Hmm. <laughs> but, you know, but that's just life's journey, man. I mean, you make mistakes, you know, you, you, you make mistakes and you, you know, hopefully at the end of the deal, you know, you've got it a little bit figured out. And I think what's, what the world's telling us right now is what's important. Well, it's not always about everything outside. It's what's inside. It's like family, you know, uh, partners in life, your wife, your girlfriend, your, your mother, your father. I mean, it's like, okay, that's it. And when, when, when you've gone through as much as, as, as I have or my musician uh, bandmates and, or people in regular life, everyone goes through stuff. As you get a little bit older, hopefully you can look back and go, well, I'm here, I'm alive, and going forward, this is the way I'm going to do things. And I don't look bad at any of it. I just look at it more like, well, I made some mistakes. You know, I was younger, I was doing this, I was doing that. And, you know, now I'm just going to go about my life the way, you know, explain some of it within the, within the book. Hopefully people can understand, you know, uh, I, my I, little part of the equation, I guess. Sure. And I think you, one of the reasons why I do talk about mental health and addiction, and I use you as a, an example in, in Duff, and an example meaning somebody who could have lost their life. And, but look at the complete 180 of where they are now and the role model that they have become. And I'm sure you, I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, you, when you're in it, when you're really the height of addiction, you don't see, you don't think there's anything for you on the other side. That's it. It's not going to get better. But you are proof that it gets better. So it Duff slash, I mean, these are people that all could have easily lost their lives, but look at what they are now. They're, like I said, uh, I don't think I'm under you. I don't think I'm overselling it by saying you guys are our role models uh, in the year 2020. You know, I'm sure you wouldn't say you were a role model when you were touring the world with Guns N' Roses, but I think you're a role model now. No, it, it, you know what? It was the right time and the right thing to be a pirate. You know, I like, <laughs> I like you know? that. I mean, at that particular time of our lives, when you're young and you're out there and you're rebellious and you know you're doing what you think is right at the time. And, you know, I meet younger kids and younger bands and they're partying and they're doing their thing. And I got nothing to say about any of that except for, you know, you're going to get there when you're going to get there. You're going to do what you're going to do until you don't do it anymore. And then, you you know, there's an old expression, you can't drag a guy off a bar stool. You know, it's like, hmm. until you figure out where you want to go, you know. And I got to say, a large percentage of those years were great. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would say 
and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't go back. Oh man, it was horrible. I was, I was in such bad shape. And yes, there was times, <laughs> but uh, for myself, I could just only tell my story. My story, you know, like I said, is in the book. But and there were times where I'm like, okay, well, this is out of control, and you know, and like, like you just said. We're all still alive. That that kind of blew my mind, you know. When I think about it, I'm like, you know, back in the day, as hard as we went at it, I thought someone was going to die for sure. And um, I used to worry probably more about the other guys than me. But uh, especially Duff, I I, I thought any day because there was times when I I would see him and I'd be like, oh my god, you know. Wow. But you just look at them now. Know, so we've all lived, we've all lived to tell the tale, if you will, and that's yeah. You know, with the exception of people like that we love, like like Scott, you know, Scott, and you know, and then the people that we lost, you know, Chester and, and Chris Cornell, right. and, you know, uh, and uh, you know, the guys that we lost along the way, you know, uh, a lot of musicians, you know, locked, so and friends. I know, I know. It's tough, and that's why, I, you know, uh, stories like yours are, are inspirational. So, um, I know the I'm, book... I'm very, I'm very, and I said this, I'm very upset about Chester, and I'm very upset about Chris, because those are the guys that we're going to replace and Scott. And those are the guys that gonna, were going to fill the bill, the guys that came before him. Those were the three greats that were, like, guys that were going to replace the icons before them, because I always say, who's going to replace Mick and Steven Tyler and, you know, all these great rock and roll frontmen? Who are the next generation, right? Who are the guys that are going to take their place, you know, for the next generation to go, oh my God, is Chris Cornell one of the greatest rock singers of all time, in my opinion. Even Axel used to take me out. I remember when Soundgarden opened for us in Europe. And uh, Axel goes, you got to come out. I mean, Axel was the one that brought Soundgarden on tour. He's the one that turned me on at Nine Inch Nails. He, he, he said, listen to this record. And he picked a lot of those opening bands, Blind Bell and Shannon Interlude. That was Axel's buddy. Another guy who lost. Yeah. Shannon. And Shannon was out of his mind. That guy was so crazy. I feel like, dude, kick it down a notch. Like, but he was so lovable, but, you know, it's just another, another case that couldn't handle the fame. He just could not handle it. Hmm. And anyway, long story short, me and Axel, I remember going out, we were in Prague, Czechoslovakia, we are playing this huge stadium. And we went out, found guard, and he goes, check this guy out. Like, oh, my God. And I remember standing on the side of the stage with Axel. I mean, Axel was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, he loved music, man. He was very inspired by these guys, and he wanted he wanted the challenge to be oh, go up after Chris Cornell and you know bands like that and show them to the world. I remember I remember the Smashing Pumpkins opening for him in Chicago before they had a record deal, oh. and Axel found out about them. He goes, "Hey, did you hear this? You hear about this band in Chicago? He just got signed called Smashing Pumpkins. That was like '91, and." I remember, <laughs> I remember they were doing two nights with us in Chicago. They were opening 
and that was when we had a St. Louis riot. And they were all set up doing their sound check. And I think our, we had a production guy named Opie who still works with the band. Like he went up and said, you guys can pack it up and go home. The band's not coming. And then, you know, because like, you know, we were like basically in St. Louis. We had the huge riot. Um, and we we took off and went to Chicago. It's in the book, my book. Right. I remember a lot of stuff. Like some of the other guys don't tell a lot of those particular stories. But um, I remember we took a van. We drove up to Chicago, and Axel was extradited. You know, he he was going to get extradited to, to Missouri, and he took off and flew back to LA to meet with some attorneys and stuff. So the gigs were canceled. You know, we canceled plus. All of our gear was ruined in the riot. So we couldn't have played if we wanted to. <laughs> okay, I did not know that. Oh my God. If you look back at the footage, even on YouTube, you know, the, the crowd took the stage and ruined all the equipment, sold a lot of the gear. You know, a lot of people were injured in that particular area. Oh, another uh, tale of survival for Matt Sorum. <laughs> yeah, uh, we ended up leaving in the van in the book and I don't want to tell the whole story no. I don't want to spoil it right we all rode this van up to Chicago from St. Louis and uh Eddie took a bus he split right away and then uh <laughs> it was probably one of the coolest van rides I've ever been in because we were all together in van for hours you know here we were at that time being probably the biggest band in the world like riding in this van and uh, I'm trying to get away from the cops wearing full stage, stage regalia still in our stage clothes you know what I mean <laughs> oh I wow Axel, Axel was wearing that night he was wearing that feather boa and he had like a skirt on we stopped at a waffle house because we were all hungry and we all walked in there yeah in full stage gear <laughs> everyone, everyone just looked over Remember we looked up on the TV and we were on the news. And, <laughs> you know, like the riot, right? Yeah, it was a great time. And the people in St. Louis, it was, it was weird for them and, and a hard, hard situation, but wild times, wild times. But, uh, do, you, do you foresee, I mean, well, we got to get your book out first, but after that, do you foresee this becoming like a movie? I mean, obviously, I spoke to Cherie about the Runaways movie and you know Queen and Elton John. Is it going to be a GNR movie? Do you think uh, eventually? <laughs> I don't know. All right. I don't know. I got. I don't. You know, I have a lot of like uh, responsibility for uh, the catalog. So. Oh, fair enough. But well, uh, then let me, let me ask you then what what you are because um, I know we're you know, we I only have a few for a couple more minutes. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if it's just in the book. You don't have to give us a, a story if you don't want. But do you talk about like GNR recording in the mid '90s about that breakup when Slash and Duff finally left? Do we get to read about that from your perspective? I probably won't comment on that yet. Okay, fair enough. Fair. I don't want that to be the headline. That's <laughs> I get it, Matt. I completely get it, and I I, I appreciate that answer. So, so thank you for, for that. No, I, I, I've, everything that you said, you know, from the beginning with 
you know, uh, the, the work that you do for animals and what we're doing to our planet to your approach to working with, with Sherry and the, and she just could not sing your praises enough or helping her make this record. And I think all of us need to thank you because she said she was almost out of music and you brought her back in. So with that, and you're just your inspiration of being, you know, hitting some pretty lows, which we know some of, we're going to find out the rest when your book does come out. And where you are now, just incredibly successful, and your hands are in so many different uh, cookie jars, as they say. Um, could we? I know you've delayed the book, but is there any sort of update that you can possibly? Oh, no, we're actually just talking about it today because I was supposed to go to New York, you know, and I was going to be in, on Seth Meyers. I don't know if you've seen that, but they have all the guest drummers. They do, yeah. And yeah, and I did it. I did it one week, and I, I played every night, you know. And then I was going to do that, and then I'm going to show the book, and you know, I got a million people out there, a couple few million people, so I can sell some books and stuff. But and then I was going to do Howard Stern and make the rounds in New York, and obviously, you know, that's right when everything kicked off. So we were like, ah, let's just push it, you know, because and I've got a release in Sweden and Italy. I was going to go to Europe. I had five days in. In, in Sweden, I was going to do a big run through Scandinavia. Okay. So I'm going to tour, tour it. We might wait till the beginning of the year, maybe just see if the fall will work before Christmas. Okay. And some people say, well, hey, people will read it now, but I, I want to get out and promote it. Yeah. And so that's the main reason we, we pulled back. And, uh, so basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, and then um, yeah, you know, all the other projects I'm working on, I'm I'm I'm, I'm working towards. I had a big charity event this month with with Geezer Butler and uh, Chad Smith. Flash and Dub were gonna play on that, and we had to cancel that. So I've got to figure out um, when we're gonna do that again. Okay. Uh, you know that kid Andrew Andrew Watt. Who uh, produced the Aussie record? Right. Him and Chad, you know, him and Chad uh, played on that Aussie record. So yeah, I I, I thought, oh, I'll honor Chad, and all these people are going to come sing Billy Idol, uh, Allison Mosshart, and the Kills. I mean, I I spent so much time organizing that show, and it was like, oh no, you know. Would you do but, anything? Would you organize? Like, have you watched the the Elton John special that was on TV? Uh, was it Farm Aid with uh, they they put that on TV with Dave Matthews? Like, are you would you do anything perform like a Zoom concert? I asked Sharid the same thing. Like, is would are you gonna do uh, more? You know, I mean, I need, are you getting kind of burned out on those? Or what do you think? I that's an interesting question. I think it depends on how it's done because you're right. Because uh, it was weird with John Mellencamp because he sounded great, but he was like, uh, just like people don't know how to use a webcam. And like it's easy to set up, so yeah. I think if it's done creatively, uh, I think yeah, it, it can well, be done well. I'm actually, you know, I don't know if I said, told you this, but I'm, I'm I work in Brazil a lot. I have a company there that um, is doing a lot of good work. We actually have a company called Viral Cure, and uh, check it out, viralcure.org. It's all in Portuguese, but we have a health clinic um, for the people there to get medicine for. Uh, for all kinds of things, but basically now with COVID-19, uh, we're raising money. So I'm going to be on global television, which is the biggest television in uh, in uh, Brazil, 
And uh, I'm thinking about putting something together um, for that. And I'm going to do like a web episode thing. And I'll basically, I'll cut the drum track and then have everyone play to it. Sort of like what you saw Jason Bonham been doing with the circle. Right. So, so I'll have the track and everyone can play on top. So everyone can sync. And he just cut all the videos together and make sure everyone's in the right key. And, you know. It could be done well. I mean, I think from week to week, Saturday Night Live got better, you know, and that's a whole, you know, skit. But I thought the 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 Rolling Stones was a trip watching Charlie Watts bang on pots and pans. But you're right, there are some yeah, that it's like, that eh. Was, that was, that was, that was what was happening, you know. I'm like, if there was anybody else but the Stones, <laughs> but it's Charlie Watts. You know? Right, right. <laughs> uh, one last question before uh, we get out of here: any update on Deadland Ritual? Nothing right now. I mean, you know, uh, everything just kind of went, <laughs> you know, you can't, it's weird because people are like, well, can't you record? I'm like, well, not really because we're not in the same room. We did, didn't finish the songs and uh, nothing, nothing to report on that right this second. All right. Sounds good. I mean, you ha- you're working on enough, so uh, no worries. Well, <laughs> I'm glad we get to enjoy the Cherie Curry album now, Boulevards of Splendor, which you produced. I mean, Slash and Duff were on it, Billy Corgan. We got uh, Brody from The Distillers, uh, Juliette Lewis. Um, uh, Matt, I mean, I can't thank you enough. I hope we, I mean, we could be on the phone for, I mean, at least I could be on the phone with you for hours. Um, but again, I hope when your book finally comes out, and because I'm normally in a studio in New York, when it's safe to come back to New York City, I would love to have you in studio. Wow. What a just engaging guy. Very smart. How smart. And and not just, you could tell, not just musically, because Cherie on the last episode of the AFD show really broke down Matt's intelligent approach to music, but just as a person and what's going on in the world. And he's been talking about these issues that are really being brought to, you know, how many people's attention now solely because of a pandemic? These are issues and causes he's believed in and fought for for a while, and he knows what's going on. He's not participating in charities like they're trendy, you know, like some celebrities do. He he cares. He visits these places. So it was awesome to pick his brain about that. And, of course, the, the Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver stuff, I wish I could have gotten to all your your questions, but – it's um it's an interesting thing navigating these kind of conversations and, and seeing how they will go and i and and then that shows you a perfect example and i loved his response was that i i asked about what kind of gnr stuff and specifically the breakup in the book and he was right i don't want that to be the headline he's absolutely right for not just for the same reason as he doesn't want to give any spoilers away so you still get the book, which he has every right to do. It's, he's an author. Writing a book is, is so difficult. I've tried in my life, and it's just it takes a certain kind of person to, put a, to, to, to be an author. And that's why I respect Susan Holmes McKagan, people who have really transitioned what, their, what they built their career like how they built the career. So, you know, Matt grew up a musician and now he's a philanthropist and he's an entrepreneur doing all these things. So I respect people who can later in life uh, transition to another challenge, another life challenge, another another career challenge. Uh, so I get, I get all of that. 
So for him, again, again, not just for selling books, but for the other reason of it not being a headline. And I completely get that. And it was a, I think it was Dan on, on Twitter. I want to uh, properly uh, credit this person with a, a great response to the Susan Holmes McKagan interview going viral. It just hit every major rock uh, news outlet and, and different countries. And he writes, because <laughs> it, makes, it makes me laugh, because I even put this in my GNR forum.com. When Susan mentioned that she's heard new GNR, I said, if you want to cheat, it's at 50 minutes into the interview. So, and, and she, I, Dan said something like, you know, it was a great interview, but all this fuss over something she said so flippantly and it didn't even really say that much <laughs> because she didn't really give any details, just that she's heard it and it's pretty epic. And A, that just shows how desperate and, and eager we are for new Guns N' Roses music where basically no news is still news. Um, and I appreciated his comment because it's, it's true. I mean, she said something 50 minutes into an interview where not many details were given, just the mere existence of music made international headlines. So, and, and that, and, and some outlets spoke about how Susan was on promoting her book. Some didn't. And actually Susan's PR person said, it's all good for the brand. So she didn't mind that the headlines were all Guns N' Roses stuff. Cause, and I'm looking at the comments on Blabbermouth and all these other places where they're pretty venomous, but everyone loves Susan. So it was just great for her brand. <laughs> uh, I, I hope it sold her more books. And, and the same thing here. I want Matt's book to do well. And I get that, you know, a headline, you and I are smart. We will see past a headline and click on an article and make our own decision. But some people just take the, uh, the clickbait and run and think Matt's talking about a Guns N' Roses thing where he's talking about philanthropy work. He's talking about... Uh, his, his the new Sheree Curry record, you know. So it's a um, it's a balance. It's interesting. So and and I I appreciate that that response. And I'm definitely not going to dig deeper than that. I'm I'm just not. So I'm happy with the interview. So I hope you are happy as well. So what is to come on the AFD show? I could tell you Steve Riley and Kelly Nichols from LA Guns. One of the LA Guns, is, they're going to be on the show. And I announced it on social media. You're already submitted que submitting questions, so please continue to do that. Facebook.com slash the AFD show on Twitter at the AFD show. Uh, Appetite for Distortion on Instagram uh, at the AFD show. Uh, the AFD show at gmail.com, rather. That is the email address. I do also read those. You can hit me up on mygnrforum.com. My username, because I'm a dork, is gambit83. <laughs> um, anyway, and again, if you listen on whatever podcast platform they usually have, you know, where you can leave a comment, so, and I can read those as well. So be on the lookout for that. So when will you see the next episode of the AMT Show? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. security, I'm going home.